If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that, open it up or turn it on your phone, whatever. Head to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, that's where we're going to be hanging out together this morning. And as you find uh, your place in the text, um, let me just ask you a question. Do you, do you have something, just kind of thinking back in your life, do you have something that you've always anticipated or longed for your entire life? Like as long as you could remember. What's one thing, just kind of pause and think, man, one thing that you've always anticipated, you've always just kind of longed for your entire life. So maybe if you're a car person, maybe you dreamed since you were a little kid of a certain type of car, you just dreamed you would own one day. So maybe it's like a, you know, a Lamborghini or a Maserati, or maybe if you're in high school or college, it's like a 96 Civic that doesn't spill oil all over the place. Or what, what, maybe it's a certain car that you just kind of long for, or maybe it's like a destination vacation. It's like you've always, I've got several of these places in my mind right now, you know, these places, you're like, man, if I could just go to Rome, just go to Italy, man, and, and, or maybe if I could go to Paris and see all these incredible works of art, or maybe it's somewhere tropical, you think, man, if I could just go wherever, the Bahamas or Hawaii or someplace like that, man, then I would have it made. I would love that. Or maybe if you're really young, for you, it's like you live your life in anticipation of finding Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, and you think, man, when I find that person, my life is gonna change, and it's gonna be awesome, and man, I could just die in peace once I find my Mr. Right or my Mrs. Right. Or maybe you're married, and you're thinking, man, man well, maybe when I have a baby, maybe you've just longed ever since you were a kid, like that day, you just dream of that day where you're gonna hold your own babe in your arms, and you just, you just have these thoughts of that thing that you're so looking forward to, and you think, man, when I get that thing, I can just die a happy man. Or I can just die a happy woman. I remember uh, I spent some of my childhood years in Central and South America. Two, two years, actually, we lived in Costa Rica. And when we were living in Costa Rica, we got one English channel on our TV. That, that was it. So the only English channel we got was WGN Chicago, okay? That, that's all we got. And uh, so we watched that a lot. And the only sports team that would come on WGN Chicago, at least back in those days in like the 80s, were the Chicago Cubs. It was the Cubbies, you know? Yeah, yeah, Cub fans, yeah, represent. And uh, so we, we had a good time. And we kind of developed an affinity for the, for the Cubbies, man, because that's, that's who we could watch. And uh, actually, I've been to one Major League Baseball game my entire life. I went and saw the Cubs play at Wrigley Field, and they beat the Giants, you know? And so, but it was, and it was awesome. But you know, if you're a sports fan, that until about two years ago, the Cubs were considered a cursed sports franchise. You guys remember that? The curse of the Cubs. I mean, they were cursed. I think it had been 108 years since they had won the last World Series. And so, man, they, they were just kind of cursed, been 108 years. And then two years ago in 2016, the miracle of 2016 happened. The Cubbies won the World Series, man, and Chicago went nuts, man. You turn on ESPN or the news or whatever, Cubs fans just flooding the streets of Chicago, man. It was, it was jubilee. People high-fiving each other, and you could just kind of hear them saying stuff like, man, I can die in peace now. My Cubbies finally did it. 
You know, my granddad wanted to see this day, and my dad wanted to see this day, and now I'm seeing it. The Cubs finally won the World Series. I've anticipated this day my whole entire life, and now it's finally here. And that is kind of the sense that we get from a man named Simeon that Luke introduces us to. Now, we know virtually nothing at all about Simeon. He burst onto the scene in Luke chapter 2 for one brief, powerful moment, and then he fades into the background of history, never to be heard from again. Now, some scholars have speculated Simeon, man, maybe he was a priest, maybe he was a scribe. The reality is we, we just don't know really anything about Simeon. You don't know who he was, where he came from, what he did for a living. Scholars are very confident uh, that he was a very old man, that he was advanced in years, that he had lived a very long life by the time that Luke introduces us to him in chapter two. And so let's go ahead and dive in, see what Luke has to say to us about this man, Simeon, beginning in verse 22 of chapter two. Dr. Luke writes, When the time came for their purification, he's talking about uh, Joseph and Mary here. According to the law of Moses, they brought him, baby Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Mary and Joseph Being uh, good Jews, they were following Jewish custom. They were following Jewish law. Uh, Jesus was born. Now 40 days have have gone by, have passed. And so they are making their way to the big temple in Jerusalem for their purification ceremony and to present Jesus to the Lord. So think of this sort of like a baby dedication service like we do here at New Life from time to time. Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph offer as a sacrifice a pair of turtle doves or pigeons which tells us that they were probably uh, relatively poor. So they're super young. You guys know they were more than likely they were in their teens. All this crazy stuff has happened. Angels appearing to them. They're going to raise the Messiah. And now they're leaving their little podunk town. They're going to this big temple and this cosmopolitan town. And then, man, they're, they're young and they are broke. Now, some of you can relate to that because uh, wealthy people, they wouldn't offer birds. They would, they would buy a lamb. A lamb was more expensive. They would offer the lamb as a sacrifice. Joseph and Mary couldn't afford to do that. So they buy what they can afford, a couple of cheap birds for the purification ceremony. And as I was just studying it this week, especially in light of really the first two chapters of Luke, kind of the buildup of the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, I was really struck by something. Think, think about the people that God is using in this kind of buildup to the coming of the Messiah to usher, in his, to usher in his kingdom. Think about the type of people that he's using. We have Mary and Joseph, probably teenagers, apparently from relatively poor families from this nowhere town in the middle of nowhere. By the world standards, they're, they're nobodies. Okay, nope. they're, they're, they're literally, they're nobody. Then last week we saw Zachariah and Elizabeth. He's this kind of old uh, nobody priest. He wasn't, he, he wasn't famous. He was in a very small town. Uh, this, this wasn't the guy on the speaking circuit. He's not a mega church pastor. He's not writing books, none of that. And he's old now, his wife is old. On top of that, they couldn't have kids, which would have made life really difficult on them. They would have been considered in a lot of circles kind of social outcast in that day. So, and now we have this, this old guy named Simeon, and nobody even knows who he is. 
Like scholars can't even figure out where he came from, what he did for a living. He's like the definition of a nobody, historically speaking. And don't miss this. Listen, God, God didn't use the rich and famous to introduce his Messiah to the world. He used the poor. He used nobody teenagers and nobody old people to usher in the kingdom of God. Now think about that. He didn't use kings or queens. He didn't go to the, to the it crowd or the thought leaders of the day. Just average, ordinary nobodies according to the world. Super old people, super young people. You see, oftentimes I think we have this kind of messed up idea in our minds that we're either too young or we're too old or we're too poor or we're too messed up or we're too whatever to be used by God. But what I'm reading in Luke really kind of starts getting me excited because here's the reality of God's economy. And if you're a note taker, write this down. God uses the nobodies of the world to flip the world upside down. He uses the nobodies of the world to expand his kingdom. So teenagers, you're not too young. Retired grandparents or great-grandparents, you're not too old. Person struggling with uh, addiction of some kind or depression, you are not too messed up for God to use you in ways that you never even dreamed possible. God is looking for hearts that are open to him and willing to follow him wherever he goes. I think, I really believe God is looking for people who are just crazy enough to believe that God can use them in his kingdom. And God will take a bunch of nobodies in this world who love him, even in 2018, and he will absolutely wreck neighborhoods and cities and countries just like he's done throughout history. Now, believer, that should get you excited this Christmas. God wants to use you. God wants to use us, man. He wants to use us right here at New Life. This little ragtag band of believers compromised from people from all backgrounds and walks of life, man. Maybe we're not the it church or the rich church or the famous church, but I'm telling you, God wants to use us to do his work in miraculous ways right here in Asheville. And we are already seeing it. I believe that we're going to see more of it in the days ahead. I think we're going to see more freedom. We're going to see more restoration. We're going to see more hope. We're going to see more people finding their purpose in Jesus. And he's going to use us, and he's going to use you to do it. So get excited this Christmas, church. God's not done with you. He's not done with us. He uses the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. And that's exciting. He did it 2,000 years ago. He can do it again today. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem. Here he is, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Okay, so this is, this is literally all we know about Simeon. He's this old guy who was apparently righteous and devout, which just means he lived an upright life. Simeon was a man of uh, integrity. He was full of integrity. He was radically committed to his faith, to the Lord. Luke says that the Holy Spirit was upon him, and so this was a spiritual man. 
He was, he was led by God's Spirit. And the fascinating thing uh, about this is that Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah with his own eyes. Now, think about how cool that would be. Like, just for you to know that you couldn't die until the Messiah shows up. How cool would that be? Right? Your, wife, your wife tells you, like, honey, you, you really shouldn't buy that motorcycle because you could die. No, baby. I am immortal until the Messiah shows up, right? You really shouldn't have that second hamburger. You might have a heart attack like your father did. No, babe, I can't have a heart attack until the Messiah shows up. Pass the cheeseburger. Give me another one of those. It would have been amazing, immortal, until the Messiah shows up. That's a pretty sweet deal. That was Simeon. Now, I imagine in Simeon's day and even in our day, Simeon probably would have been considered a little weird, like a little strange. You know what I mean? He probably would have been considered one of those people who's just a little over-spiritual. Uh, you ever know anybody like that? Like eating a meal with them or something, you like pass the bread and they quote a Bible verse to you? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, right? You're like, dude, pass me a biscuit. That's, that's Simeon. Right? He's, he's the guy, he's, he's kind of like going around church, whispering to everybody that he's not going to die until the Messiah shows up. And everybody just kind of rolls their eyes like, what a weirdo, man. who is this guy? But Simeon didn't care. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel, which was well, just another way of saying he was waiting on the Messiah. And so he lived his life with this incredible sense of anticipation. And honestly, it's the same way that you and I, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, it's the same way we ought to be living our lives in anticipation of the second coming, of the second advent of Jesus, right? I mean, man, Simeon, he just, he lived for it. He looked for it. He prayed for it. Now, you could just picture him waking up every single morning and just being like, Lord, is today the day? Is today finally going to be the day that the Messiah shows up. And then the day that he had been waiting on his whole life finally arrives. Verse 27. And he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, as Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. Now, picture how strange this scene must have been. Simeon wakes up. The Holy Spirit prompts him that morning to go to the temple. And so Simeon probably, I just have to think, he would have known. Today, today's the day. Like he, he just knows it. He can feel it in his spirit. He can feel it in his old achy bones. He's excited. Today's the day. Have you ever just had the Holy Spirit prompt you to do something, even if it didn't make sense? You ever had those experiences? Right, where you're just somewhere and there's some random person across the room and you're like, man, I know I'm supposed to talk to them. I know I'm supposed to go pray for them. Or you see a single mom at a restaurant or something with her four kids. You're like, man, this $20 bill sitting in my pocket, God's just, he's telling me to go give it to them, right? The, the Holy Spirit just moves and prompts his, his children. Right? That's the beauty of having the Holy Spirit, right? When we give our lives to Jesus, the Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells us. He convicts us of sin. He comforts us. He guides us. It's incredible. 
And this is how Simeon is living his life. So he gets up, led by the Spirit. He goes to the temple this morning. And Luke says, he sees Joseph from there. He goes up to him. And he scoops Jesus up in his arms. Now, we don't know exactly how this went down. But just imagine. Right? You're Joseph. You're Mary. You're young. You're probably scared. You don't know what's going on. There are angels appearing to you. You're pregnant as a virgin. You've got Messiah, the Son of God. All this stuff and you got this new baby, you're, again, you're 15, 16 years old, you don't know what to do. And then you go, kind of go to the temple, which was the customary thing to do. I mean, you're from this little nobody, nowhere place, podunk place. Now you're in this huge city, Jerusalem, like this cosmopolitan city. And all of a sudden you're there and you're trying to figure out what to do. And all of a sudden you see across the temple courtyards is an old hunched over man. And he begins to just like make a beeline for you. He's just shuffling his way right over there, got his eyes locked on your baby. And he comes up right up to you, and he reaches out for Jesus. You can just imagine Mary as this brand-new teenage mom just kind of freezing in the moment. Maybe she looks over at Joseph, and Joseph kind of looks back at her, and maybe he gives her the little nod like, oh, it's, it's okay. But Joseph, is he's ready. Like if the old guy takes off, he's going to tackle him right there in the temple courtyard and, uh, and run after him. Now just word to the wise, uh, if we're having a baby dedication ceremony here and you run up on stage and grab a baby, we're calling security. You're going to get tackled up here on the stage and pepper sprayed. So don't, don't try a simian. It worked for Simeon. It's not going to work for you, I promise you. Don't, don't pull a Simeon. Simeon grabs this baby. He looks down at this baby. We don't know, but maybe, maybe with tears in his eyes, maybe tears streaming down kind of his weathered face. He's been waiting on this his whole life. His heart undoubtedly would have been just filled with this joy that he's never known before. He's waited for this one moment his whole life. And then he gives us what is known as Simeon's song. And so let's pick up right in the middle of verse 28. And he, Simeon, blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now this is language for now I can die in peace. Now I can go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And so Simeon grabs baby Jesus. He looks down and he says, now I can die in peace. Now, that's a little bit of a strange thing to say when you first pick up a newborn, isn't it? If you want to freak out a new, a new mom, snatch your baby up and scream, I'm ready to die. That's going to, be, that's going to be a fun scene. But most of us, if we're being honest, we pick up newborns and, listen, this is a, this is a safe place, right? I can be honest. Most of us, we go and we, we see a newborn and we, we pick them up. And we, we try really hard to manufacture something nice to say about the baby, right? Because if we're being completely honest, mom and dad think their kid is beautiful and amazing, but all babies look the same, don't they? I mean, they're, they're little wrinkled human raisins. And so we, we, we pick them up and, and we look down and we say stuff, we manufacture stuff like, goodness, look at those eyes. <laughs> look at those eyes. Or he's a, he's a chip off the old block. He looks just, just like his dad. No, he doesn't. He looks like a little human raisin. But we, we, we say things like that. Now, pause. If I, if I said something nice about your baby, I really meant it. I really, I really meant it that time. But those are the, like, those are the things that we, that we say about, about baby. Not Simeon. Not Simeon. Give me that baby. I'm ready to die. 
And I'm sure this would have been an incredible scene to behold. Uh, someone shared this past week kind of a famous painting of what this scene may have looked like. And it's, and it's beautiful. I think we got a picture. Yeah. So somebody painted this. And they're imagining, uh, and there you got Simeon, this old guy, he's got a tear coming down, and he, you just see he's bursting with joy, right? He's holding little baby Jesus, and you see kind of that light shining there. He's the light of the world. And if you look really closely, there's actually a, a map behind him so you can see the different continents, and we'll get to why that's in the picture in just a minute. But Simeon grabs Jesus, he looks at him, his heart is filled with joy, and he says, man, I can die in peace now because I have seen my salvation. Church, listen to me. Salvation is not a thing. Salvation is a person. And his name is Jesus. And once Simeon meets Jesus, he was ready to go. He was ready to die in peace. See, one reason I think that so many of us are, even as Christians, seem so terrified of the idea of death is because if we're being completely honest, I'm not sure that many of us are fully bought into the truth that Jesus is going to be enough for us on our last day. We just have this, this weird thought or fear that, that one day we're going, to, we're going to die and we're going to stand before God and he's going to, he's going to kind of like unscroll the scroll of our, of our lives and he's going to look at all of our deeds and all of our sins and go, oh, dang, I didn't know you were that messed up. I know you had committed all those sins. Like, man, that really, this really kind of took me by surprise. I'm going to, give me a minute. I'm going to have to recalculate and see if you can get in. And, and what Simeon is saying is, no, 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 Jesus is all you need. That in the end, when you breathe your last breath on this planet, the only thing that will matter is Jesus. Amen. He is salvation. On that day, it's not going to matter how many promotions you got at work. It's not going to matter how much money you made. It's not going to matter how perfect or imperfect your marriage was. It's not going to matter how big your 401k plan was. The only thing that will give you peace when you stand before the creator, the God of this universe, is having peace with him through his Messiah, Jesus. That's it. And here's the second truth. Here's the second truth I think Simeon would give us. Jesus allows us to live well, but he also allows us to die well. Amen. You say, Chris, man, that's a morbid thought. Get out of here with that junk, man. This is Christmas. I came in here with my Christmas mojo, and you're making me think about my death. Listen, I'm not trying to mess with anything. I'm just telling you, there's nothing more beautiful than a life well-lived in someone who is completely at peace and ready to meet their creator. There's nothing more beautiful than that. Not because of anything that they've done, but because they know Jesus has secured and made them right with the Father. So if you want to live well, if you want to die well, die in peace with a confident assurance, you need to embrace Jesus. We all do. He is our only hope, and that is why Christmas is such a big deal. Listen, that's why the Apostle Paul could say crazy things like, for me to live as Christ, to die is what? To die is gain. How could he say that? To die is even better. Or he said things like, man, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone. Paul would say, I don't fear death anymore. You want to kill me? Come at me, man. I'll die in peace because God has made me right with the Father, and I can now stand before him with no fear, no condemnation. 
death, bring it on. I sat across the table just this week um, and, and shared lunch with one of our widows uh, who lost her husband just a couple of months ago. And as we were talking through her tears, she looked at me and she said, Chris, I, I don't understand this. I, I, I just, I couldn't have even anticipated that this would be the truth, but I, I just, God has given me this peace that I, I don't understand. Like, I don't, I shouldn't have peace in this situation. I, I shouldn't have a calmness about my situation or losing my dear husband. I just have this peace and I don't understand it. It really does surpass all understanding. Like, through the pain, through the loss, through death, peace. So I'm just here to tell you, church, Jesus allows us to live well. He also allows us to die well, to die with peace and confidence. And that is a gift nothing else in this world can give you. And that's why Simeon looked at Jesus and he said, now I can die in peace. I have seen my salvation. It is secure. Bring it on. Right? So Simeon, he then continues in verse 31 with this song. And this part would have been something that would have been absolutely shocking to most Jews in Israel 2,000 years ago. This is what he says, that you have prepared, he's talking about God, the Messiah, you have prepared the salvation in the presence of all peoples, all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, you got to understand, the Gentiles were the sworn enemy of the Jews. The Gentiles were the ones who oppressed, abused, tortured, enslaved them. See, most, most Jews thought that the Messiah was probably going to come as like a military commander, and he was going to deliver them from the Gentiles. He was going to crush the Gentiles and free his people. And now Simeon is saying, no, 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 he didn't just come for us. He came for them. You see, the, the Jewish people 2,000 years ago had become kind of dangerously tribal in their thinking. They, they saw themselves as the only people worthy of salvation, and they were wrong. Now, none of us are worthy of salvation. But Jesus is clear, and Simeon is saying, he came for all peoples. He came for all peoples. And here's something that kind of just, as a pastor, it breaks my heart as I, I look out at the landscape of American Christianity today, man. I sense kind of this the same sense, the same air of self-righteousness that the Jews had 2,000 years ago. Like this, this idea of us in here, the, the righteous, the Christians, the churchgoers versus against, against them, all those people out there, the unworthy. And Simeon is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus came for all peoples. Jesus is not a Jewish Savior. Jesus is not an American Savior. He is the Savior of the world. And all people who call upon his name will find refuge and salvation in him. The prophets of old foretold of this. Simeon sings about it. Jesus commanded his disciples to take this good news to the ends of the earth. And the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, gives us a picture at the end of time as we know it. And it tells us there are going to be peoples gathered around the throne of the Lamb from every tribe, tongue, and nation, worshiping Jesus together forever. And Simeon is saying, this is point number three, salvation is always personal. He did come for you and I, but it is never private because it's for all peoples. We're supposed to take this good news to all peoples. One of the biggest 
criticisms you'll hear about Christianity in our culture today is kind of this idea that, hey, man, you, you Christians, you can believe whatever you want, right? You guys believe what you want. You do you, but you stinking Christians, you're always trying to make everybody else a Christian. And to that accusation, I always say, yep, you caught us. You, you busted us. That's exactly what we want. But it's not from a place of superiority, so it's not like we think we're better than everybody else, and so we just want everybody to become like us so that they can be good like us. It's not from a place of superiority at all. It's from a place of love. It's like if, I, if I've got cancer and I somehow discover the cure to cancer, I want everybody in this world who has cancer to have that cure too. That good news is too good to keep for myself. I would be the worst person of the planet if I kept the best news in the world to myself. Seeming to saying, yes, believer, Jesus came to save you, but he also came for the person who you hate. He came for the person that you hate. He came for that group of people that you dislike. He's for the immigrant. He's for the refugee. He's for the person who hurts you. He's for the person who stabbed you in the back. He's even for Duke fans. Like, well, maybe some Duke fans. Salvation, seeming is saying, is for you, believer, but it's not just for you. He didn't save you just so you could take the best news in the world and stick it in your pocket. The responsibility of grace is that we become agents of grace. It's to spread grace. To sing the song of salvation with our lives like Simeon did. To share it, to tell the world. Verse 33 continues. Luke does as he's recording uh, this event. And he says, And his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so after singing this beautiful song of salvation, you just kind of picture Simeon's face begin to change. And it drops a little bit and he looks down at Mary and he says, Mary, many people will rise with your son Jesus but many people will also fall because of him. And even your own heart, your own soul is going to be pierced by a sword. And he was giving her this prophecy of the pain that she would one day endure as people would mock her son, would reject Jesus, would call him demon-possessed. He would eventually be arrested on false charges. He would be tortured in unspeakable ways. And then eventually, Mary would be an eyewitness to her own son's brutal execution on a Roman cross. So that, Simeon says, the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And what Simeon was saying is this. Jesus is going to expose human hearts for what they really are. It's going to expose human hearts for what they really are. And so the days of just going to the temple and memorizing the Torah, the days of just playing religion and going through the motions, the days of pretending to be a good person, Jesus is ending all of that. God is ushering in his kingdom. He's drawing a line in the sand. And in Jesus, everyone is going to have to decide whether they are with him or against him. Whether they're in or they're out, there's no fence to sit on in God's kingdom, church. No fence to sit on. 
Jesus said himself in Matthew 10, he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to bring division. And what Jesus was saying there, and what Simeon is saying now, is that in the final analysis, there will only be two categories of people. Those who have embraced Jesus and those who have rejected Jesus. And so Simeon leaves us with one more sobering truth before he fades into the background of history, never to be heard from again. And here's the question I think Simeon would leave us with. Which category are you in? Which category are you in? Because religion won't get you to God. Being a churchgoer will not get you to God. Knowing some answers about the Bible will not get you to God. Being a good person who does good deeds in your life will not buy you peace with God. It is only by doing what Simeon did that will allow you to live well and die with just kind of a ferocious boldness and peace, and that is embracing Jesus as Lord. And so here's kind of the, the final point I think Simeon will leave us with this morning. Christmas makes neutrality with God impossible. It's impossible. You will either look at Jesus and you will sing the song of salvation with Simeon. Your heart will soar at this news. And you will say, I have seen my salvation. Or you will look at Jesus and you will shrug your shoulders and you will walk away. But understand this, there is no neutrality with Jesus. See, our culture peddles this false idea that you can sort of just view Jesus as this good moral teacher. Maybe he's just like a good guy, kind of like Gandhi or kind of like Mother Teresa. But that is not an option that Jesus has given us. Friend, we are all separated from God by our sin. And the only solution to that separation is Jesus. That was true for Simeon and it's true for you. And so the question remains, have you embraced Jesus? Have you given yourself wholly to him? What are you holding you, what's holding you back? What, what could possibly hold you back from the best news in the world? Friend, understand this, your life will sing a song. Your life will tell a story. Sing the song that will matter with your life. Embrace the Savior of the world. And in him, find the one that your soul longs and searches for. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we definitely don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your forgiveness. Father, we betray, I betray you over and over again, God. Every day we need your grace in a new and a fresh way, God. So thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for showing us salvation. Thank you for making a pathway back to you when we couldn't get to you. God, thanks for not leaving us separated from you forever. And Father, I would just pray if there's one person in this room this morning who has not yet embraced Jesus, and I mean really embraced Jesus, not in some religious way, not in some churchy way, but there's somebody here that really hasn't been 
transformed, had their hearts remade by Jesus, God, would you, would you show them, even right now in this moment, would you show them their need to, to turn from religion, to turn from trying to be a good person or whatever they're doing in their life to try to make themselves acceptable to you, God, and would you, would you let them know that the only way to find the good life, the life they really long for and the life they've been created for is in Christ. It's found in Jesus and nowhere else. God, for Christians in the room, those of us who would claim to be followers of you, would you use this Christmas season, Father, just to to rekindle, to rebirth the passion of our salvation in our lives, in our hearts, in a new and a fresh way, God, in a way that would cause it just to spill out of our lives onto the people around us, God. Help us not to keep the best news in the world to ourselves, God. Help us to share it so that all may know And all might worship you, God. And we pray it, we ask it for the fame of your name, Jesus. Amen. Church, would you stand with me as we worship?